Good morning, NFL fans. Welcome to another episode of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Right off the top of the show, we're bringing in our guest star once again, Cooper Allen. Welcome to the show, Cooper. Always a pleasure, Dave. We're uh, doing the NFC playoff picture, kind of mid-season report, although we're a little bit past now the mid-season mark. Uh, last week we did the AFC. This this week, almost entirely the show dedicated to the NFC. Let's start with that Sunday night matchup between the Saints and Cowboys. Not really much of a um, of a matchup. A lot of records again set by the Saints. Most yards allowed by the Cowboys in franchise history. The Saints set a record for first downs with 40 in the game. Just think about that. 40 first downs. The Cowboys only ran like 43 plays in the whole game. And the Saints had 40 first downs. So what do you take away from this game, Cooper? It just goes to show you how dominant the Saints' offense is. In the back in August, early, late August, early September, we talked a lot about the combination of Drew Brees and Sean Payton and how they would do with Sean Payton coming back off suspension. And both of us were very high on this duo, said they'd take their division, and they've done really well so far. Drew Brees putting up monster numbers again, and they're looking like they were a couple years ago. Yeah, totally. And we, we talked about last week how certain teams look better at home. Saints, not that they're a bad road team, uh, but their two losses this year coming on the road, they look undefeatable, really. Um uh, at home in that Superdome. Oh, for sure. It's definitely uh, the opposition coming into New Orleans trying to play in the Dome. Uh, fans are allowed. You can definitely tell that New Orleans has an advantage. And I'd, I'd be scared going into New Orleans. I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely hard to take them down on home turf. Agreed. And that's what makes the home field so interesting this year is because in recent years, it seems like the home field advantage has lost some of its um, some of its meaning, if if you will, because there's been just so many upsets. Whether that's just number one seeds having good regular seasons and not really being the best teams in the conference, or or just uh, the right team that's a four or five or a six seed getting hot at the right time and going on the road and getting victories. But this year. With Seattle and New Orleans seemingly duking it out for uh, that one and two seeds in the NFC, it's going to be tough to to go into either of those places and get a victory in January. Oh, for sure. Those are uh, probably the two hardest places in Seattle and New Orleans. So if you're coming in as a even a three seed, a three through six seed, having to play against one of those teams... Uh, in their house is not going to be easy. Now, what seed do you have New Orleans getting? Um, I have them actually as the one seed. Okay. Wow. All right. Um, now. And yeah, I have them. Go ahead. Yeah, I have them uh, around the thirteen and three mark. Right, and then the. Maybe the biggest, well, they have two more matchups with Carolina still to come up, and Carolina we'll talk about in a little bit. Maybe the biggest surprise team in the NFC this year. Uh, and they also have a matchup with San Francisco next week, but that one being in New Orleans, the 49ers losing on Sunday, uh, it looks like that they could win that one as well. Yeah, I have uh, I have the Saints winning that game. I just, uh, they're on fire right now, and San Francisco's not looking as hot as we expected them to look, so I think New Orleans should come away with that one. Let's switch over to the Cowboys and talk about the NFC East for a minute. Uh, where do the Cowboys go from here? I know they have a bye week coming up. They're still my pick to win the NFC East, but what what are your feelings about that division? It's really an interest. I don't know if interesting is the word. I guess for lack of a better word, it's interesting. But 
but it's just it's been an ugly division to watch this year. Uh, the Cowboys with the loss are now tied atop the division with Philadelphia at five and five. And really, as bad as it is, a team could win the division at five hundred this year. Right, and just I think just the fact that those are all big market cities. And uh, they get so much attention on ESPN and other media markets that just it's. I just think it's kind of funny that the division is so bad because it gets so much attention, and it's just produced horrible football this year. Yeah, that's for sure. It's uh, they've they've historically been the fun teams to watch, the big rivalries. But yeah, like you said, they're not producing at all this year. Now, who do you have winning the NFC East? Um, the Giants are a bit of a roll right now. They've won three in a row, and as much as I'd like to see them come back and make it interesting, I feel like they could win their matchup against the Cowboys. But they've just they've dug themselves too big of a hole. I think Dallas will end up uh, coming out on top, at maybe around like nine and seven. Okay. Yeah, I I agree with that. That I mean, all four of the teams really are alive. We we saw the Redskins last year come back from a three and six record and win the last seven to finish ten and six and win the division. But Dallas, I think, still has the edge. They're three and zero in the division, and if it comes down to a tiebreaker, uh, I think uh, you got to give it to the Cowboys. Although I've already looked, Cooper, the last week of the season, you talk about Tony Romo and his inability to play well in big games last week of the season the Cowboys have to play the Philadelphia Eagles and wouldn't it be uh kind of fitting to see Tony Romo perhaps blow another uh division championship last week to a division opponent yeah the media would be all over that one that's for sure (laughs) uh that it's possible that one will be the Sunday night matchup which That was the case last year with the Redskins and Cowboys with uh, Tony Romo not blowing it on his own, but throwing a couple of picks in that game and the Redskins finishing off their uh, amazing comeback to win that division. Now, let's flip over now. We mentioned the 49ers briefly and Carolina. They had a a really interesting 4 o'clock matchup, big defensive battle. Uh, What were your thoughts about this game? Um, This was one that I enjoyed watching. I mean, uh, it was really it was a great defensive matchup. Like, sure, there was a few not so great mistakes on both sides of the ball, but I like seeing uh, like an occasional game hard nosed two great defenses going up against one another. And this year, we've seen a lot of low scoring games, but it hasn't exactly been because of great defense, more or less lack of execution offensively. So it was nice to see two top defenses come out to play. I can completely agree with that. I, I'm a person that loves defense first over offense, and this was you know, kind of a throwback game with both quarterbacks like to run around, and, and they're good passers, but 49ers as a team, when you take into account the sacks that they had, because sacks are minus yards towards the team's passing total, they had 46 yards passing in the game. That's not going to help the average, and they're already ranked last in the league in passing offense. Yeah, exactly. And it's crazy. I don't know like, who would have thought that Kaepernick would be struggling this much after a great performance in week one. Um, he absolutely <laughs> lit up the Green Bay Packers, but since then, his passing average total is just having, having come anywhere close to that. I'm glad you bring up that point because, yeah, everybody was talking about how the 49ers are a transformed team. They now want to throw the ball. They brought in Anquan Bolden, and it's been nothing but that. Still have a great running attack, and to me, I still think the 49ers can be one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, I, I'm, you know, I, I think Carolina's a good team, but I was surprised to see them lose this game. Um, but uh, the, the, their inability to pass has got to worry the 49er fans. Oh, for sure. Especially when you have to go up against teams like New Orleans and Seattle in the playoffs. And if San Francisco wants to get back to the Super Bowl again this year, Colin Kaepernick's going to get it together. Right. 
And, I mean, we saw Mario Manningham come back. He played in his first game on Sunday against Carolina. They're hoping that uh, they get their big gun, Michael Crabtree, back soon. That will certainly help. Let's talk about Carolina. A few weeks ago, I don't think anybody was talking about this team. Even last week, I think if we had done the NFC, they wouldn't have been in our playoff picture. Is it fair to put Carolina in the top six seeds as of this point, Cooper? Um, I have them finishing just outside of the playoff picture, but it's definitely fair to say that they have a shot. Um, they have a better shot than most teams in the running, actually. Uh, at 6-3 right now, they're right up there. Um, they do have a tough schedule over the second half, but uh, they have a lot of talent on both sides of the football, and they could very well end up getting that succeed. Right, and I think that was the one thing that I was still hesitant about with Carolina is because of their schedule. I thought that they would lose to San Francisco, and coming up next week they have New England on Monday Night Football. And then in the last uh, six games, they have New Orleans twice. So you would figure, best-case scenario, they split and lose the game at the Superdome, and that, that puts them at, at a, around um, 10 and 6 at best. And you thought that maybe they drop another one here and there. They do have to play New, the New York Jets as well. Uh, but I, I've, I've become a believer in the Panthers, and I, I actually have moved them into my playoff, uh, playoff picture at the sixth seed with the win uh, against San Francisco. I, I think they'll, they'll get in, in, in front of uh, Chicago and Green Bay. Yeah, that's fair. I mean... Uh... They definitely have a very tough defense, and I think it'll come down to what their offense can do. Uh, Cam Newton, in his first couple of seasons, hasn't had to really play in a big game, so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do under pressure now that every game is starting to mean more and more. It'll be very interesting to see what he does next week. Uh, the Patriots coming off a bye um, on Monday Night Football, Cam Newton will be in the spotlight. I think the first time he'll be on Monday Night Football in his career, so that'll be certainly interesting. Now, where do you have San Francisco? Do you have them uh, making the playoffs? And uh, who are your basically who are your two wild card spots? I have uh, San Francisco uh, finishing in the fifth seat. Okay, and. Uh, Surprisingly, uh, I don't have Carolina, I don't have uh, Green Bay, I don't have Chicago in the sixth seed. I actually went with more of a dark horse team in the Arizona Cardinals. Wow, okay. Uh, let's talk about them yeah, then. Why'd I you wanna... pick them for the six? Yeah, um, they're currently sitting at five and four right now. They were able to edge out a win over Houston today. And they have a couple of very winnable games coming up. Next week they have Jacksonville. And... They hold tiebreakers over teams like Detroit and Carolina as they've already beat them so far this year. So if they can pick up wins uh, against teams like Jacksonville, Tennessee, they're at home against St. Louis. Um, nine and seven, ten and six is uh, not out of the question for this team. They're just uh, they're just starting to gel offensively right now. Carson Palmer's finally starting to click with some of his receivers. Uh, they just signed Jake Ballard and. Rob Housler's finally starting to break out as a tight end. He just picked up his first career uh, touchdown from the NFL today. Wow, okay. I, I don't think anybody saw that prediction coming. That's very interesting. Yeah, definitely uh, off the board a bit there, but I feel like they could uh, they could sneak up and surprise a few teams. Very fair. Uh, you have me convinced. Um, now, you said that Arizona would make it in front of Chicago and Green Bay, so I'm assuming that you picked Detroit to, to win the NFC North and uh, Detroit sweeping the Bears for the season with their win on Sunday over Chicago, in Chicago. Let's talk about that game a little bit. Um, Detroit, obviously the big the big headline here is the sweeping the Bears for the season, and they're now sitting alone uh, in first place, the NFC North at 6-3. and three. Yeah, we can't we can't emphasize enough how big of a game this was for Detroit. With the sweep of Chicago, they're now pretty much the front runners in the division. Uh, they have a fairly easy schedule uh, down the stretch, and they have a big matchup against Green Bay on Thanksgiving, which with Aaron Rodgers' collarbone injury, they might not have to face him. Or even if Rodgers does try to rush back for that game, he 
probably won't be at 100 percent so that could be another win for the Lions right there right I think that's a great point even if Rodgers plays in that game uh that's that's a game that's what two and a half weeks away because it's on a Thursday being Thanksgiving um he's he's not going to be 100 percent So that um, gets us to really just the the winner of the NFC West, I believe, is all we have left. Um, I have Seattle, and I have Seattle getting the one seed. I assume you have Seattle, but you have New Orleans getting the one seed. So what what uh, seed do you have the Seahawks getting? I have the uh, Seahawks right behind them as the number two seed. Okay. Um, so for you, let me let me see. If you have New Orleans, Seattle, Detroit, you have Dallas as well, and then San Francisco and Arizona. Correct. Very nice. Okay. Uh, a couple other teams that are still alive. Um, what what are your thoughts on Green Bay? Without Aaron Rodgers, we both have them not in the playoffs. Can they realistically make a run at it without their best player? I don't think so, really. Um, A lot of their success was pretty much solely on his shoulders. He's a top five player in the game today. Uh, I think he's the best quarterback out there. And there's really not that many people that could have the same or even similar success that he does in Green Bay. And uh, Seneca Wallace is out now. They're going to be starting uh, Scott, I think Scott Tolzien it is, next mm-hmm. week. And uh, there's a couple games just coming up for them that they'd normally win with Rodgers at quarterback, but they just they probably won't win uh, with uh, Tolzien at the helm. Right. Okay, that pretty much uh, wraps up uh, the NFC. One other team that I do want to mention real quick before we go to break, St. Louis Rams routing the Indianapolis Colts 38-8 to on Sunday. This is a team that everyone counted out when uh, Sam Bradford went out with an injury for the season a few weeks ago. But sitting at 4-6, and six, I mean, they're not in the best you know, situation record-wise, and they're in the toughest division, in my opinion, in the NFL. But uh, they're, they're alive, I think, with them. Arizona's alive. Chicago and Green Bay are on the outside looking in, but they're alive. And then, of course, in the NFC East, everybody alive. There's really, in my opinion, only Minnesota, Atlanta, and Tampa Bay are the teams that you can really cross off uh, not making the playoffs in the NFC. Yeah, this is definitely a very tough conference, and the Rams, they're a team that will compete, will fight, they'll be in it right until the last couple of weeks, and uh, yeah, they'll scrap with your tooth and nail until... uh, until the last minute of the season. Right, and I believe it's only happened twice in the NFL. Uh, It happened just two years ago, I believe, where we saw three teams from the same division make the playoffs. Possibly could see it again in the NFC with the NFC West. It'll it'll be difficult with uh, them playing each other. Maybe they'll beat up on each other and a team like Carolina or Chicago sneaks in. But uh, it would be very interesting to see three teams from the NFC West in uh, the NFC playoffs. Yeah, three teams from any division is uh, is always interesting to see, but especially from a team or from a division like the NFC West that was one of the weakest in the league just a couple of years ago. Right, yeah, just in 2010, Seahawks are the only team ever to win the division at 7-9 and nine and quite possibly could happen again but in the NFC East this season, ironically. We're going to take a break here on Monday Morning Huddle. Stay with us, though. We're with Cooper Allen, FN reporter, and we're going to come back with our NFC midseason awards after the break. Here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, I'm your host Dave Holcomb with guest star Cooper Allen. Cooper, you've I think 
well, not I think, definitely have made the most guest appearances on our show so far in its young history. Yeah, it's always a pleasure coming on here, and uh, hopefully I can get back on soon. Yeah, I'm sure it's it's the the holding that record uh, of guest appearances on Monday Morning Huddle is right up there with you know guest appearances on Saturday Saturday Night Live, I would think. Yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, of course. We're not quite there yet, but. Uh, Let's uh, in this segment. Let's do disappointing surprise players and our MVP in the NFC. Let's start with a disappointment so we can end on a high note. Uh, who's your disappointing player in in the National Football Conference this this season? Um, I went to go with uh, Eli Manning. I think it's really it's hard to look any other way for me because uh, I picked the Giants to win the NFC East, and they lost their first six games, and over that time. He threw 15 interceptions, and although he hasn't had that much help around him, I uh, expect a lot more from a two-time Super Bowl champion. You know, I went with the same guy. I thought maybe you were going to go in a different direction, but I agree that just the play from Eli this year has not been what you come to expect from a guy that's won two Super Bowl MVPs. And I live in the New York area, Cooper, so I, I hear stuff about him all the time and I just I I cannot get a reading on him. I can't even explain why, but just you know, you have those announcers that are announcing his game and will say the few they they throw around the the term all the time, not just with Eli but with everybody, future Hall of Famer. And it's just like I know he's a Super Bowl two-time Super Bowl MVP and most quarterbacks that have won two Super Bowls are are in the Hall of Fame, and he's won two MVPs in that game. But is this guy a Hall of Famer? I mean, he has a season like this with 15 interceptions, leading the league, 18 turnovers, only 10 touchdowns. He seems to have a season like this every other season or maybe every three years. And that's just, to me, the inconsistency does not deem him a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And even in the years when he does win the Super Bowl, it's not like he's doing it completely by himself. In the years he has gone, he's had solid defenses as well. Like If you were to be someone like Kurt Warner, who led some of the greatest offenses in uh, NFL history in his two Super Bowl appearances, then maybe that's when the Hall of Fame conversation starts to come up. But like you said, I just think he's too inconsistent and just hasn't put up the numbers to get there. Right, and and I don't mean to put down Eli too much. I mean, I think he's a good quarterback, and that's that's what I mean. It's so hard to figure out because it seems like there's there's only the two extremes. There's the, the group of people that hate Eli Manning and think he's terrible, and then there's the group that wants to put him in the Hall of Fame, and it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I'm definitely one of those people who fall in the middle. And it's just like, we you can't discredit what the guy did, but then to go out and say that he's in the Hall of Fame is definitely a bit extreme when he's thrown 15 interceptions through six games. Right, and, and, and I understand everybody has their bad stretches, their bad seasons or whatever, but it just seems to be happening way too often for this guy to be a future Hall of Famer. I don't think he... If, to be a Hall of Famer, you got to be one of the best at your position during your era. And Eli, I don't think, is a top-five quarterback at any point during his career, even when he was winning Super Bowls. Yeah, completely agreed. So let's move on to surprising player. I'm going to go first in case you have my guy. Um, I went with Eddie Lacy, the running back from Green Bay, and he's going to have to continue to surprise if uh, the Packers are going to make uh, a playoff run here we both have them not making the playoffs, but so far this season, 596 rushing yards for Lacey, four touchdowns. He's a rookie, of course. Three running backs taken before he was in the 2013 draft, but I mean it's still very early. But he looks to he to me he's my favorite. The other three running backs taken before him, of course, Monte Ball, Giovanni Bernard, who's been great. And Le'Veon Bell, I like Bernard and Bell. Haven't seen enough of Ball yet, 
but I just love the way Lacey's kind of a throwback running back, just looking for someone to hit and, and looking, looking to run to contact when he gets the ball. Yeah, that's a great pick. I, uh, I really love the, his style of running. And I was actually, I thought, I thought he went a lot later than I expected to, uh, expected him to. I figured he'd go a bit earlier, but, uh, to the Packers, and it's great to see him have success there. Right, and some people were questioning his work ethic. I think that's why he fell in the NFL draft. Not really sure where those question marks came up in his work ethic, but uh, I, I know the Steelers passed on him also because they, they thought he was injury-prone. And, and again, it's very early. I mean, come back in five years, and we'll talk about Lacey versus uh, Le'Veon Bell, what the... the Ironic part of it this year was Le'Veon Bell was the one that didn't start the season healthy and missed the first three games, and Eddie Lacy has been really awesome for uh, for the Green Bay Packers this year. Yeah, it definitely is uh, something funny to look at. So, who was your uh, surprise player through the first ten weeks? Um, I stuck in the same division. I went uh, over to Chicago with Alshon Jeffrey. Okay. Um, it's not really a surprise to see him have a good year, but breaking out the way he has wasn't really expected by many people. Um, he has four games this year with at least 100, uh, 100 receiving yards, including a 218-yard performance back in Week 5 against New Orleans. Yeah, that's a very good pick. Um, pairing him next to Brandon Marshall, <laughs> I don't know if you read my... Uh... Power rankings every week, uh, Cooper. But I, I had the joke that uh, the Monsters of the Midway are now playing wide receiver, and I, I kind of stole it from John Gruden. He said it on Monday Night Football, but very true. These guys right next to each other are going to, if they can stay together, are going to be quite a receiving threat uh, for years and years to come. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he's definitely uh, he's definitely been a dominant receiver this year, and as the number two guy, which is uh, the best part about it for the Bears. So we have one more award to give out from each of us. We're going to go to MVP of the conference through the first 10 weeks of the season. I have uh, two guys, actually, one on offense, one on defense. But, Cooper, I'll let you go first. Um, I went with Drew Brees. Um, if you watched Sunday Night Football last night, you probably are aware of what he's capable of doing as you mentioned New Orleans again set a bunch of records and he's had through the first half of the season he had nearly 2,700 passing yards and 21 touchdowns and he's on pace to pass the 5,000 yard plateau again this year and it's just it's unbelievable what he's been able to do now with uh, Coach Payton now. yeah they're just every it seems like every single week they they break a new record it's just unbelievable what they're doing in New Orleans and Really hard to argue that anyone else deserves the entire league MVP after watching that performance against the Cowboys Sunday night. I went with uh, Megatron on offense for uh, the Detroit Lions. Of course, against the Cowboys as well, had that 330-yard receiving game. If you take that out, I guess his statistics um, receiving-wise are not as impressive, but through the first 10 weeks, 821 yards receiving, seven touchdowns. I think that's the key. He didn't really score that much last year if you remember Cooper and then on defense it's hard to pick uh, or not pick uh, the linebacker from Carolina Luke Kukli if I'm saying his name correctly three interceptions from the guy he's leading the team in tackles Sean Lee has had a great season and we've saw what the Cowboys are without him on Sunday Night Football but uh, Kukli was has just got that uh, Panthers defense going in the right direction and if they do end up making the playoffs, it's going to be behind that defense. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I believe Carolina has one of the most underrated front sevens in football. And uh, Keekley's been right in the center of that. He's, uh, I believe he led the league in tackles in his rookie year, and he's right back up there again this year. Yes, definitely. And he's only in his second year, so there, there's a... Bright future for that young man and uh, the, really the entire Carolina defense and team. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a 
future for him. That wraps up our uh, our talk NFC wrap up of the first half of the season with Cooper Allen. Cooper, why don't you give uh, our listeners your Twitter? Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at CooperAllen47. And once again, thanks very much, Cooper, for coming on the show. Our listeners, don't forget that uh, Cooper and I have the first and ten series that come out uh, that comes out every week. Normally on Friday, sometimes late Thursday night, but we preview every single week. Uh, Cooper has great fantasy updates and articles that come out during the week as well, and I do my power rankings that come out every Wednesday. Again, Cooper, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Dave. Back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, your host Dave Holcomb. We're moving into our fourth and long segment part of our show. I'm going to say a statement. I'm either going to agree with it and go for it on fourth and long or disagree and punt it away. I have three statements for today. Number one, a really, to be honest, curious story coming out of Pittsburgh and the Steelers getting their third win of the season on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills, really the first convincing win um, although I guess the Jets win uh, was convincing, but the, the win against Buffalo, I think, was um, by far the team's best performance of the season. But fans really didn't get to enjoy it all that much because earlier, before the game started, um, I can't pronounce his name, but a reporter from NFL.com, Ian Rapport, um reported that Ben Roethlisberger is expected to ask for a trade after the 2013 season and expects to, to be traded. And in that report, it also said that the team shopped Roethlisberger around before the 2013 season. So after 2012, after last year, the team shopped around Ben Roethlisberger. Um, and look, I, I don't... You know, I can't say that uh, really, and, and I can't really comment about how true the story really is, um, besides just it being my own opinion on it. Uh, the Steelers uh, owner, Art Rooney, too, and uh, Ben Roethlisberger and his agent have come out and, and spoken very um, confidently and strongly against these, um, against this story and calling it false accusations, basically. But I just I don't understand how first of all how something like this gets out. If if it in fact is not true, then where is this story coming from? And that's that's the whole thing, and that's the the issue really about reporting in general, and especially sports reporting is these guys like Adam Schefter and Ian Arapore is is really respected uh, reporter at NFL.com, but they get these reports. From their inside, you know, they get this inside scoop from these sources, and no one knows where they're coming from because no one wants to give up a source. And it's like, well, Roethlisberger denies it. His agent denies it. The Steelers are denying it. Well, who who is your source? Is it the ball boy in Pittsburgh? Like, is it Ben Roethlisberger's wife who's who wants to move somewhere warmer? Like, where where are these? Uh, where is this report coming from? Um, that's the first thing I thought of when I heard this. Um, secondly, why would they ever want to trade away their franchise quarterback? So my, my statement as I go, as I'm about to go on a rant here, the Pittsburgh Steelers should consider trading quarterback Ben Roethlisberger. Absolutely not. Why? They're in rebuilding mode. Yeah, they are. But why would you trade away your best player? And not that Big Ben is the best player. I mean, the Steelers have other good players and and, and Pro Bowl players. But in football, the way it is set up right now, you need a quarterback to win. You've always needed a quarterback to win. But in particular, you need a franchise quarterback. 
you you can't really plug in like a Doug Williams and you know or a Mark Rippin and he takes you to the Super Bowl. Those days in the NFL are over. The, these guys having great one year, you know, one great year, like Rippin or you tr- you plug in a Trent Dilfer and have a great defense. That that doesn't really happen anymore. You you need a franchise quarterback to win the Super Bowl. Why would you want to trade away? your franchise quarterback, when you finally found one. There aren't that many out there. Wasn't it just a couple weeks ago people were talking about how little um, quarterback production or how, how how diluted the quarterback position is in the pros? And now people are suggesting the Steelers trade away possibly a Hall of Fame quarterback? No. No. Yes, they're rebuilding. Yes, it's going to take some time. Will Ben be too old by the time the Steelers get it back together to make another Super Bowl run? Maybe. I mean, that's the risk that you take. But trading away your franchise quarterback could reset your franchise five years, ten years, even longer. Ask Minnesota Vikings fans how they're doing with their quarterback situation. Why do you think the Buffalo Bills haven't been to the playoffs in 10 years? Because they don't have a quarterback. What happened with Washington last year when they got Robert Griffin III? Immediately went to the playoffs. Were there other things? Yes, there's lots of other things that go into building a championship team. A defense, a running game, special teams, good coaching. Obviously, all those things are factors. But you throw in a quarterback or take out a quarterback... It's amazing the difference that one position makes. Go ask Green Bay. Green Bay went from a Super Bowl contender to probably not going to make the playoffs in a week because they don't have Aaron Rodgers. I'm telling you, I'm not overstating the fact that the quarterback is the most important position, maybe in sports, but the most important position in football. And... That, to me, is just number two, why it would be just absolutely ridiculous to trade your franchise quarterback. Now, before I move on to the next statement, let, let's take a look at the the situation in Pittsburgh a little bit more closely. Now, some of this, or this report might be coming out, or wh- whoever is the source in in saying that this story is true... Uh, there's been a lot of speculation by everyone that Ben Roethlisberger and offensive coordinator Todd Haley haven't been getting along. They're both kind of fiery guys. Um, Todd Haley is very, I mean, at times he's very pigheaded and he wants to do things the way he wants to do them. And Roethlisberger, quite frankly, is the same. He wants it done the way he wants to do it. Um, and... It's very difficult for anybody, I I believe it's very difficult for anybody in the media to actually have a real um, assumption or or even a real idea of what's going on in the locker room. What is the chemistry, um, the status of uh, a relationship between a coach and a player? Okay, we can talk about it all we want, but do we really know the situation? Do we really know the relationship? No, not at all. So I, I, I don't want to really speculate that they're not getting along. Um, the one thing that I will speculate about or one thing that I will comment on is I think Ben Roethlisberger loved Bruce Arians because Bruce Arians was his yes man. And I know people in Pittsburgh are now saying that um, you know Todd Haley needs to go. Todd Haley is the problem. Blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, bring back Bruce Arians. Well, I mean, Bruce Arians isn't going to come back. But you ran Bruce Arians out of town for a reason. And that was because the offense wasn't producing at the level that it should have been. And quite frankly, the red zone offense was bad. And it hasn't gotten better with Haley. But I think that has contributed to other factors. One of them maybe being that Roethlisberger isn't working very well with Haley. I think Roethlisberger doesn't – Roethlisberger, just knowing the type of person that he is, following him throughout his career, 
I, I just feel like he wants to be around other people that don't that just say yes to everything that he wants to do. And that's what Bruce Arian did. He said, yes, yes, yes. We'll do what you want. We'll run that play. Yes, you can pass on every down. Yes, you can take these hits. And, you know, Haley wants to run the ball, wants to take the offense in a different direction and change things a little bit. And Roethlisberger has resisted it. Does that mean that they both need to continue to work together in Pittsburgh? I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if the solution would be to fire Haley or trade Roethlisberger. Maybe give it one more year. I don't know. But this is now year two. Obviously, Haley isn't getting credit for the record of the Steelers in those two years because he's offensive coordinator, not the head coach. But he... Under Haley as offensive coordinator, they've now gone 8-8, eight and eight, and they've started this season 3-6. and six. Mike Tomlin talked about how he's going to make major changes. Maybe a major change is that offensive coordinator. Maybe it's straightaway Roethlisberger. Who knows? Um, but I think unless... You, I don't know if... I mean, obviously, I think Steeler fans would be very upset if, if the organization chose Haley over Roethlisberger... That would, like I just said, would be silly to trade away your franchise quarterback. But at the same time, I think the Steelers have gotten away from what makes them good, what makes the organization very strong in no prima donnas and hardworking people and tough guys. And Ben on the field is tough. He's a great player. And that's what everyone sees and everyone loves him. But off the field, he has a lot of lot of issues as we all know he's been in trouble with the the law and, and such so I I can see the Steelers maybe wanting to trade him in that situation now there's a lot of other details they need to work out um, the Steelers did say they'd want a franchise quarterback in return I don't know how they're going to get a franchise quarterback in return for Roethlisberger uh, if they did trade him he also has a pretty sizable um a pretty sizable amount of money still due to him in his last two years in 2014 and 2015. Um, those are the years left on his contract. So a lot of issues to uh, work out. Obviously, that is if they're even looking to trade him, which the Steelers and Ben have denied completely. But if you're into the speculation, check out Michael Quinn's uh, slideshow on it. He lists the top five teams that uh, would be top trade destinations for Big Ben. All right, my ranting is done. I got two more statements for you in the uh, fourth and long segment. Jacksonville Jaguars got their first win of the season on the road at the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee, now on the outside looking in, are the Titans, or my, my statement, the Titans will not be a playoff team in the AFC. Well, I mean, I guess it's kind of an easy statement to just agree with because... If you listen to last week's show, I didn't have them in the playoffs, and now they lose to Jacksonville. The reason why I made this a statement is because there were a lot of losses in the AFC on Sunday, and actually um, it was it was a big, big day for the NFC, which we spent most of the show talking about, but games like the, the teams like the Colts lost, Cincinnati lost, and the Colts losing to an NFC team that uh, is in last place in their division – uh, and the Colts in first place of their division. The Colts now, I'm questioning how good they are. Um, the Bengals, two losses in a row, questioning now how good they are, actually. Um, and teams like San Diego lost, and Tennessee lost. So they're still alive. Right now, if the playoffs started today, the Jets would get the sixth seed at 5-4, and four, and you got Cleveland, Baltimore, San Diego and Tennessee, all four and five. So they're alive. Uh, it's possible to make the playoffs for those teams. Um, but for Tennessee, just the fact that they lost this game to Jacksonville, a game that they should have won, um, is a huge hit for the team. Now they have to play Indianapolis on Thursday, short week, and uh, that should be a good matchup. Division rivals, but the Colts coming off a, a big loss. Expect them to get things back on track. Uh, and Tennessee is staring at four and six 
And then the next three games on the road, all three of them on the road at Oakland, at Indianapolis. So they're playing Colts two times in the next three weeks. And then at Denver. So realistically, yes, I would say the Tennessee Titans are, are um, just barely hanging on to a thread uh, and have to win this week against the division-leading Colts to stay alive in that, again, short week. Um, but don't forget to uh, check out David Levin's article on the Jaguars-Titans game, Five Things That We Learned From That One. Lastly, uh, staying in the AFC uh, after our NFC midseason report with Cooper Allen for the first half of our show, uh, we've got all AFC stuff in the fourth and long segment. Going back to the AFC North, Baltimore Ravens defeated the Bengals in overtime 20-17 after uh, Andy Dalton uh, threw a Hail Mary to A.J. Green after it was tipped several times. Green caught it in the end zone to tie it at 17, send it into overtime. The Bengals scored 14 points in the fourth quarter to tie it. They thought maybe the Bengals would, would escape Baltimore with a win. But the Ravens stay alive. My statement, the defending Super Bowl champions, Baltimore Ravens, will rally back, play Cincinnati in the last week of the season, which they do, and knock off Cincinnati in Ohio and capture the AFC North. I'm still going to hold back on that and disagree and punt that away, but I'm thinking about it. We, we, I've, I've said a lot of positive things about the Bengals this year on the show. And I really do believe when the Bengals play as well as they can, they are the best team in the AFC. They are the most balanced team. And I know people are probably still, um, you know, especially with the last two losses, are going to completely disagree with me. But the the Bengals, seriously, when when Andy Dalton and that offense is is turning with A.J. Green and Giovanni Bernard and uh, Mohamed Sanu and uh, the, the tight ends, and uh, don't forget Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis, and a very ferocious defense, they're the best team. The problem now is they've got injuries with Geno Atkins, and they have inconsistent play at the quarterback position. And we saw that again. And if they don't get it together, I can see them blowing this division. And the Bengals, of course, are known for... Not necessarily blowing division leads, but just not being a team you can count on, a clutch team that you can count on in December and in January, especially in recent years. Haven't won a playoff game since 1990. So it's been a long time for the Bengals. Uh, you thought maybe they would uh, get that home playoff game, which they haven't had since 2009. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not selling them by any means. I still think they're the best team on paper in the AFC North. But you even have to consider Cleveland, to be honest. You don't forget about them. Uh, there's a lot of division games left, and I think that is what worries me. As much as when we talked about Dallas and the, and the race in the NFC East, I said I like Dallas because they've won their division games. They're 3-0 and in the NFC East. Well, Cincinnati, Cincinnati is 1-2 and in the AFC North, and all the other three teams are below 500. So they're not getting it done in the division. And they yes, they've beaten New England. Yes, they went into Detroit and beat them. They killed the Jets. But the division games is what really the NFL season comes down to at, at certain points. And when you're not beating Cleveland, you're not beating Baltimore. Yes, they were both on the road. But still, that, that, to be honest, I think in order for them to win the division, they got to win the rest of their division games. And that would give them nine wins. Their other opponents are Minnesota, Indianapolis, and at San Diego. That's it. And they have a bye week. So they only have six games left, three of them in the, in the division. And you got to think they're going to they have to get uh, ten wins in order to make the playoffs. So um, this week, this coming week is when it starts. Playing a really big game against Cleveland at home. Um, is it too early to say a must win? I, I don't think so. I think they have to win that game in order to uh, reestablish themselves as the favorite in the division. And even then, 
Baltimore the last week, and Pittsburgh. I don't think realistically Pittsburgh is going to make a run at it, but if they uh, if they they want to, Steelers got a, they have a lot of div- division games left. Twice against Baltimore, twice against uh, I'm sorry, once against Baltimore, twice against Cleveland, and then um, the game against Cincinnati at home. So even there, technically still alive at three and six um, with Cincinnati last two losses giving hope to those uh, bottom-tier teams in the AFC North. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back and wrap up today's show. Some girl got a good Coco Chanel. Some get the love of the dog. I got a girl looking naturally well. Hit the ever song. She likes well. Back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, your host Dave Holcomb. That's all we have for today's show. Don't forget, Football Nation Radio is on our website every Tuesday and Thursday from 12 to 2. Your hosts on that show are Bill Enright and Todd DeFries. They really have a great show every single week, twice a week. Uh, It is centered mostly around fantasy football, uh, but they discuss really all the top news around uh, the NFL, and a little tiny bit of college as well. So definitely check out that show. Um, And pay attention for my stuff, all the other great stuff on Football Nation. Don't forget, you can tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. You can also send me an email, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. Until next week, I'm going to go try and find some peace in my mind. It's true.